Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to How Should I Be Positioned on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. On this podcast, we do like to discuss macro developments and asset allocation with our UBS Chief Investment Office, as well as our third-party asset manager partners, with today's conversation in particular having a tilt towards equities. So with that in mind, excited to be back with David Lefkowitz, Head of Equities Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, and glad to welcome back to the forum for his third appearance with us, Dan Suzuki, Deputy Chief Investment Officer with RBA or Richard Bernstein Advisors. So, uh, David, Dan, it's great to be with you both today. Looking forward to hearing your current thinking on the markets, equities, and it's great to be back with you both. Thanks, Dan. Looking forward to it. Let's keep it lively. It's good to be with the Dan's. So, uh, thanks, thanks for having us back. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, so to start, I know we're beginning to close the book on the first quarter of 2022. I'm sure many of us out there, many investors are looking forward to doing so because it has been a very challenging period in particular for equity investors, perhaps not the start to the year that we were expecting. Though if we take a step back, Dan, and we rewind the clocks to January 1st, what was your outlook then for equity returns over the first half of the year? And have you had to rethink or readjust your outlook in consideration of conditions as they've played out over the past quarter? Thanks, Dan. So, uh, you know, we don't we don't come out with formal uh, return targets. I always tell people the best part of leaving the sell side was that I don't have to do that anymore. I come out with S&P 500 targets. Um, but the, the, what we were saying going into this year is that clearly this was going to be a year of transition. You know, we, we look at RBA, we look at profits, liquidity, and sentiment. And each one of those things was deteriorating or signaling risk, right? Profits coming off of the surging profits we saw are, are going to slow down significantly in 2022. Uh, we're going to talk about this more, I'm sure, later. But, you know, clearly, you know, with the Fed tightening as much as it is, liquidity is tightening. And we know the starting point for sentiment evaluation were very elevated. So given that backdrop, we had been toning down risk in the portfolios, you know, both from an equity allocation perspective, but as well as, you know, the, you know, the risk profile of the things that we hold and, and, and replacing some of those riskier investments with more spare tires. I think if, you know, with the current backdrop, this is the time to remember to pack your spare tires when you're going for that drive. Uh, and so that's sort of the, the backdrop that we laid out uh, going into this year. And, and in particular, you know, two other themes, which is, you know, inflation, the risks are not being discounted correctly by the markets. And two, you know, that we, we thought and still think, you know, that there's a bubble within parts of the equity market. Um, so what's changed since then? you know, since the start of the year, you know, I think clearly those ideas, you know, which were, I would say that they were pretty out of consensus at the time, you know, are, are, are clearly less out of consensus, uh, which means, you know, now that more people believe in the story, maybe you get a pause. I mean, clearly they've had some good runs here. So I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, the, that, that those themes take a break for a little bit. But I think there's still a lot more room, you know, for those themes to run. Um, so the other, th obviously, the big things that have changed are Russia and people's, you know, expectations for the Fed. But I think that they reinforce those very same themes that we're, you know, we invest you know, that we express in our portfolios because Russia, you know, we can talk more about the geopolitics of it later. But you know, the the, the lasting impact on fundamentals is going to be that, you know, probably commodity prices will be sustainably higher than they would have been otherwise. You know. We've been saying that inflation is a big theme that people should be, you know, prepared prepared for in their portfolios. So again, it reinforces that, and 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 the Fed being more aggressive, 
you know, not only does that reinforce the fact that you're probably going to see, you know, continued slowness with them tightening, tightening policy, um, but also means higher rates. And that's, you know, well, this is an equity focused call. We've been very, uh, you know, we think that's one of the big risks out there for, for people's portfolios overall is that rates go higher. And the Fed's obviously contributing to that. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, to your point, we'll definitely revisit some of these risk considerations, take a deeper dive in a few moments. Though, David, I know you and I, we've spoken a few times over the past couple of months as far as how the chief investment office, your team has had to rethink your outlook for equity returns over 2022 in consideration of some of these risk factors that have presented themselves or have been exacerbated over the past quarter. So what's your current thinking as far as an outlook for equity returns over the first half, David? Yeah, I mean, we, we always thought this was going to be, you know, a much more muted year in terms of returns than, you know, than, you know, than we'd seen over, you know, certainly over the last couple of years. Um, but, uh, but as, as, uh, the other Dan was pointing out, I mean, look, you know, a, a you know, few things have changed. I mean, the Fed's reaction function has clearly shifted. Uh, they are, they are getting more hawkish and, um, and, and it's not clear that that is, is over yet. Um, in, in terms of, you know, how high that rates will, will have to go, uh, on the Fed fund side. Um, and, uh, and obviously the war in, in Ukraine. Uh, so, so we, we've down ticked our return expectations for this year. Um, and, you know, we're looking for more of a, a flattish year at this point, uh, relative to we were looking for like a 7% return for the year. So, yeah, a little bit lower, but, you know, and, and I wouldn't say that, you know, we're not cautious, um, and, and, um, and, and, and I'm sure we'll get into this. I mean, I do think stocks can, can rise a bit further from here, even after the pretty, pretty aggressive rally we've seen just over the last week or so. But, but yeah, I mean, clearly things have changed. Um, the inflation pressures are, are stronger. The Fed is, uh, is, is much more hawkish than, than it was in, in December. And like I said, it's not clear to, to me that that, that shift is, is necessarily run its course. Um, and, and obviously the, the war in the Ukraine. So we've, we've made some adjustments. Thank you, David. So following up on some risk considerations from hearing your opening comments, Dan, David, have noted some uh, similarities as far as risk factors that could uh, alter compromise equity returns over 2022, rising rates, inflation, uh, higher energy prices, uh, Fed tightening. I know on Monday of this week, Fed Chair Jerome Powell, when he spoke, he was very clear that the central bank will pretty much do whatever is necessary to rein in inflation concerns. And of course, we have this war between Russia and Ukraine and Eastern Europe, many unknowns there. How should investors, Dan, how should they approach volatile periods in the markets such as what we've been living through over the past couple of months? And what might be the risks associated with keeping cash on the sidelines during these periods? First of all, you know, how should investors, uh, equity investors approach volatile periods? I think, you know, the first thing is, is probably a cliche, cliche, but, you know, don't panic. 
right? I think, you know, panic buying or panic selling is, the, is probably one of the worst things you can do for your, your long-term returns. Um, but I think, you know, fundamentally, I think it's important for every investor, whether you're a professional or you're playing along at home or wh- whoever it is, you know, the important thing, rule of investing is to not abandon your process. And then you should always continue to focus where you have, where you think you have a competitive advantage. I mean, in the case of geopolitics, I mean, people are trading around this, but they don't have any more information, you know, than, you know, than the political experts or, or the military strategists, yet they're trading like they think they know. And, and, and so we don't, we don't try to make those claims that we know what the next move is going to be. And therefore, we don't try to, uh, you know, express those in our portfolio. Our process, as I mentioned before, it is always about profits, liquidity, and sentiment. So then when a geopolitical event happens, the question for us is, what is going to be the lasting effect on profits, liquidity, and sentiment? In the case of, you know, Russia, uh, Russia, Ukraine, I think, as I mentioned before, you know, at the main risk, obviously we know that, you know, Russia is a very small part of the global economy and, and of trade, but it's a huge producer of commodities. And if they're my guess, given what's happened, is that there's going to be a sustained, you know, impact on, you know, the production and supply that comes from Russia, just because we're sort of breaking them out, you know, from the global economy, even if things de-escalate at some point. And so, therefore, the sustained impact on, uh, on, on fundamentals is going to be that of inflation. And, and to the extent that that hurts profits, obviously, there's very heavily exposed areas like Germany, you know, to that story. You know, but if, if our portfolios are already positioned for higher inflation, uh, then it actually has a built-in hedge against sort of that downside scenario. So it's not something that, you know, obviously there's human costs that are, are obviously, you know, uh, front and center, you know, but the portfolio, you know, impact is not something that's keeping us up at night, given that, you know, the, the worse the energy story gets, the worse it is, obviously, for the profits of those most exposed countries, but it's actually going to be reflected in the positive benefit on, on the portfolio. And the other stuff that you mentioned, you know, Fed and, and higher interest rates, you know, how does that affect one, those three categories of profits, liquidity, and sentiment, I think, you know, most directly, it, it tightens liquidity, uh, which increases, you know, market risk and increased risk to growth. Um, and eventually, you know, we're, we're basically looking at a yield curve that's essentially flat as a pancake, you know, that de-incentivizes, de- 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 you know, banks to lend because it reduces the profitability. So therefore, you know, you know, less credit, which is a leading indicator of growth, you know, is eventually going to suggest less profits growth uh, because of less economic growth down the line. You know, so that's sort of the process is, you know, what is the thing that's happened? What's changed? And then, you know, how does it affect those fundamentals? And then how do we need to express that in, in the portfolio? Now, with inflation, you know, it's, it's, it's almost uniformly talked about in the negative context, right? I mean, we're spending over $100, you know, at the pump. You know, Whole Foods is literally become, literally becoming whole paycheck. Um, you have all these concerns, and for employers and, and companies, it's increasing your input costs, it's increasing your labor costs, and, and so it's almost uniformly talked about in negative context. But inflation, you know, it's it's a game of winners and losers. So obviously, if that's the story, we want to own the winners. So when you think about that, you know, inflation helps commodity producers, but it hurts commodity consumers. It helps borrowers, but it hurts creditors. And so, like, we're trying to, you know, reflect that in our portfolios, but it's not only from a negative context. So, you know, those are just some of the risks. But as I mentioned before, we still think probably, you know, the two key risks are that of, you know, what is still 
a significant bubble within parts of the equity market, and then also, you know, the the last the, the huge impacts that that higher inflation story combined with the higher rate story is going to have on investments. Thank you, Dan. Uh, David, what about your thoughts? The list of risk considerations, which is seemingly endless, though, of the risks that we've covered thus far, any in particular that pose the greatest risk to market returns, equity returns over the balance of 2022, and what kind of guidance can you offer as far as how to best approach these volatile periods from uh, the vantage point of an equity investor? Sure. Thanks, Dan. If I had a, I mean, I would, I, I think everything that Dan Suzuki talked about uh, makes a lot of sense. If I had a highlight one, um, you know, probably the most important risk, it, it's really inflation and the Fed. Um, you know, just, you know, how, and the reason that that's so important, and Dan sort of alluded to this, is, um, you know, the Fed controls the, 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 the flow of credit. And, um, you know, to the extent that the inflation remains sticky or, or stickier than uh, than what the market is thinking, you know, that just means the the Fed is going to have to continue to tighten the screws, and and that has negative growth implications down the road. We we know monetary policy works with a lag, so you know this stuff doesn't show up right away, uh, and obviously the level of rates, you know, you know is still incredibly low. Um, and the economy has a lot of momentum. So, you know, I don't think we're talking about a significant growth slowdown anytime soon. Uh, but, but that is clearly the biggest risk. Now, I, you know, just on inflation, I do think inflation will probably start to peak as some of the pandemic related inflation, um, Dynamics begin to roll off. Supply chains loosen up. Labor avail- labor availability becomes a, l- a little bit easier as the pandemic eases, um, and you get a little bit of a shift back to services consumption away from goods. And we're seeing the the vast you know the, it's really the strongest inflation pressures are on the good side. But I think the open question just is, how low does inflation go, uh, given uh, given that we have such a, a tight labor market? Um, and uh, you know, I, I think that's going to be more of an open question for later this year. You know, exactly, exactly that point. How low does does inflation actually go, and therefore, how how high does the Fed have to go? Uh, in terms of trying to uh, on rates and in, in terms of trying to slow down the inflation pressures, um, I don't think we're going to get a lot of clarity on that for uh, for several months. Um, and in terms of you know ha- how to handle the volatility, I mean we always go back to you know you're, you're, you'll probably hear a regular uh, refrain from us uh, at at UBS CIO, which is. Look, you stick to your plan. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, um, your portfolio should uh, ideally reflect what your what your goals, what your long term goals are, and your portfolio should uh, be structured in a way to to meet those long term objectives that you have for for your capital. Um, and you know, the ups and downs of the equity market that shouldn't necessarily lead to big deviations from that plan. So uh, similar to, you know, how Dan talks about sticking to a process, um, if you're if you're picking stocks or choosing assets or things like that, stick to your plan, uh, 
it's a it, it's meant to it, it's designed to accommodate the volatility that that we currently are seeing because we know that financial markets uh, are volatile from time to time, uh, and that's that should already be accounted for. So stick to the plan. Don't get emotional about it, uh, and focus on 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 the long term and and what your portfolio can do in terms of reaching your long-term financial objectives. Well, thank you, David. Appreciate that guidance. So I do want to spend a few moments if we can touch on earnings. And I know we have Q1 reporting right around the corner coming off what was a very strong 2021 for corporate earnings. With that in mind, Dan, what are your expectations for earnings growth here in 2022? For earnings, um, you know, we're a little unique, uh, and, and we've always been uh, unique in, in, with respect to, to the way we look at earnings because, you know, most of Wall, most strategists and, and most of Wall Street focuses on adjusted earnings or pro forma or operating earnings, uh, whereas we're sort of purists in the sense that we look at the, the unadjusted numbers or the gap numbers, and we look at it both on a quarterly and a trailing uh, trailing 12-month basis. And the reason we also look at the trailing 12 months uh, is because we're not day traders. So, you know, it's okay. We're really trying to remove some of the head fakes that you get when you just look at the quarterly. Um, but we look at both. And on that basis of looking at gap numbers, what you're going to see this year is is a big slowdown in, in earnings growth. And it's even possible that earnings growth could go negative, you know, at some point later later this year um, and on a trailing 12-month basis, which may lag a bit in, in the back half of the year. And that's something we're keeping an eye on because, you know, that to us would be, you know, a pretty big uh, fundamental risk to markets. Obviously, we focus on profits, liquidity, and sentiment, profits being the first and, and, and most important of the things that we follow and, and analyze. You know, that would be, pretty, you know, to see those numbers go negative would be, you know, certainly increase the risk even more. Um, now, mo- as I said, most of Wall Street focuses on adjusting earnings, which is going to look a lot better uh, in terms of the growth numbers. But there, the question is still about, to me, is still about what's going to happen in the second half of the year. Because if you look at the numbers on that adjusted basis, you know, you're looking at like, you know, 6 or 7% earnings growth for the first half of the year, and that number is going to rebound to 10%. Now, having been in the seat of, of forecasting earnings, you know, both as a, as a stock analyst and, and, and also as a strategist, I kind of understand that Wall Street always back-end loads earnings estimates, right, their earnings forecasts. And so, you know, what typically happens is as the, you get closer to the back half of the year, analysts are revising those numbers down. That's in a normal year, um, but I think it's even more so true when underlying growth is slowing, which it is this year. And so I would expect that, you know, that rebound, you know, on an adjusted basis from 7 to 10% is going to be a lot more modest and, and may not even be, exist by the time we, we, we get those results. And so so as I think about you know, near-term versus long-term earnings growth, I'd say I'm actually more bullish on the profits growth that you're going to see in the first half because you know, the two key supports that you're seeing today for profits, for profits growth are, you know, one, just the sheer magnitude, staying power, and globally coordinated nature of this reopening is like none other we've seen in this pandemic. Now, we're obviously all aware that that's happening, but we're still in the early stages of that. And then when you combine that with inflation, 
uh, you know, as I said, most people think about inflation in a negative context, but I think we have to step back and recognize that pro- corporate profits are, are nominal and they're priced in U.S. dollars. So when you typically get higher inflation, even though margins, profit margins may come down and get pressured, you know, the absolute level of dollars actually tends to go up. And again, it's disproportionate. You know, some companies will benefit uh, and some companies will get hurt, but overall, they will uh, tend to be stronger on the basis of higher inflation. So given that dynamic, I'm actually much more bullish on the profit you know, growth story in the, in the first half of the year. I think you could actually see some nice surprises there. But in the back half of the year, as I alluded to, you could actually see more, uh, more misses or more disappointments, um, both on an, on an adjusted and, and unadjusted basis. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate the thoughts. And David, as far as your expectations for earnings growth here in 2022, what are you thinking and what might be the impacts of inflationary pressures on margins? We're looking for around 10% earnings growth for this year. Um, you know, I, I think kind of similar to, to Dan's comments. I, I mean, I do think the first quarter is looking like a pretty low bar. I mean, let's, you know, let's not forget that a lot of companies were issuing guidance um, for the first quarter in the middle of the, the peak of the Omicron surge. And, and I think that likely tempered uh, some of their expectations for the quarter. Um, and, you know, bear in mind, I mean, you know, e- even though there are some inflationary you know, headwinds, um, I mean, consumers are still in really good shape. I mean, we just got the unemployment claims, initial claims for unemployment insurance this morning, and they just hit a um, the lowest level since I, I think the late 60s. I mean, job market is strong. So consumer incomes are are definitely rising, certainly in, in nominal terms. Uh, and, and that is going to support some pretty healthy consumer spending. I mean, it's kind of a similar and, and consumer balance sheets are also in, in really good shape. It's a, it's a similar story on the, on the corporate side. I and mean, you've got record profits. Access to capital is still very easy. Um, and, and companies need to invest in order to accommodate the backlog of demand that they have. Invest in inventory rebuilding, invest in expanding capacity. So I, I think, I think we're probably setting up for a first quarter earnings season that, that is probably going to be pretty resilient. Um, you know, much more resilient than I think the market uh, had been anticipating. Now, after the, you know, we've had a pretty sharp rally just recently, but, even so, I, I think the numbers that we're likely to see are going to be uh, comforting to the market as we get into the reporting season, which is only you know three weeks away or so. Um, and then in terms of uh, you know costs, I, I mean, yeah, just echo what what Dan was saying. I, I mean, um, profits are in nominal terms, and certainly you know revenues are, and in fact nominal GDP growth estimates for this year have actually risen. Um, that's because inflation has risen. Um, and, and that's, that's the strongest correlation with revenues is, is nominal GDP growth. Uh, so I, again, I think you're going to see pretty good revenue performance from, uh, corporate America, certainly the, the largest companies, uh, which have, you know, usually have the most pricing power. They have the most, flexibility to, to manage their costs as well. And also bear in mind that commodities are not big in terms of corporate 
uh, corporate costs. It's, it's, you know, maybe a mid single digit type of number. Obviously, that's going to vary from company to company and sector to sector. Uh, but it's, it's, it's not the over, it, it's not a huge portion of the cost structure. In fact, it's a pretty small portion of the cost structure for the average company. Um, so I would say, Bottom line, I, I think we're going to see resilient earnings growth this year, um, and, and certainly a bit better than than I think the market. Certainly in the near term, what the market had been uh, had been fearing, and, and probably still is fearing to some extent. Thank you, David. So I know we just have a few minutes left, so perhaps best to pivot over to the positioning portion of our conversation. Hear your recommendations, your guidance as far as allocation. So what we can do, David, we'll provide our guest, Dan Suzuki, with the final word. So David, I'll ask you first, in terms of equity sectors, size, style, preferences, what looks most attractive to you at this time? And are there any opportunities outside of the U.S. that you feel Feel that equity investors should consider. So yeah, happy to do that, Dan. So yeah, look from a sector perspective, I would highlight a, a few that we like. I mean, we we've had a, a long-standing uh, positive view on the energy sector. I mean, clearly it has been a standout performer this year. Um, you know, even despite that, though, the sector still has a 10% free cash flow yield, which is just head and shoulders above every other sector and and the broader market. Uh, in fact, you know, it, it's twice as, as large in terms of free cash flow yield relative to the broader market. And in our view, the sector is pricing in an oil an oil price in the seventy to seventy five dollar range, which obviously is, is much lower than uh where we see spot prices today uh for for oil. Um, so still think that there's more to go and, and, and for this sector, although, you know, want to be cognizant that it's, it's been a, a very strong performer so far this year. Um, we like financials. I, I mean, they're beneficiaries of, of higher, uh, the banks are beneficiaries of higher Fed funds rate. Uh, you know, but really what is the most important driver is, the uh, the long end of the curve, the ten year Treasury. Uh, what's kind of interesting is just in the last week or so, financials have not kept pace with the rise in the ten year Treasury. So you know, it, it looks like there's some scope for some catch up there. I think if we get uh, a decent set of earnings numbers in the first quarter, that should be a a, decent, a nice catalyst. We also do like industrials. I, I mean, I think you need to be a little bit selective within industrials. But there are some interesting themes here. I mean, I, I do think we're going to continue to see some pretty decent uh, business spending, as, as as I was alluding to. Um, you've got infrastructure dollars, which are you know haven't really even started to flow yet. That was the bipartisan infrastructure bill that was passed. Uh, you've got reopening plays with respect to aerospace. Um, You've got, you know, I think we're going to see more. I mean, clearly we're going to see more defense spending. Those stocks have moved, but they don't look expensive. Um, and um, and some of the supply chains uh, should ease up. So, yeah, I would say some pockets of opportunity within industrials. And then from a style perspective, uh, we still prefer value over growth. I mean, the the thing that I think will continue to be a headwind for the growth complex is that. You know, even though nominal interest rates have moved up, I mean, real interest rates really haven't. I mean, they're still they're still pretty depressed. They're still low uh, relative to history, and 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 even you know they're still lower than where they were before the pandemic uh, happened. And you know that in our view, we're we're likely going to see 
higher real interest. When I say real interest rates, these are uh, nominal interest rates adjusted for inflation expectations. Uh, I think those rates will have to go higher, um, and uh, that's going to be a continued headwind for for the growth complex and certainly the more speculative parts of the growth complex. Thank you, David. And then, Dan, we'll go to you for the final word. What are your current thoughts with respect to equity allocation? I absolutely echo a lot of what David said. I mean, I think, you know, the the, the way I think about it is there's the, the long-term outlook and the short-term uh, outlook. And I think, you know, unlike almost every other sort of you know, uh, area, area of, of knowledge, you know, investing is one where it's actually, in my view, it's actually easier to predict the longer term story than the short term story. I think in the longer term, you know, you can really, you know, um, you can lean more heavily on, on the, the valuation sentiment component of things. And that's where the story is very clear. I mean, if you look at, you know, valuations today, you know, where the U.S. is trading, you know, at, you know, something like 18, 19 times or thereabouts, you know, it's actually hard to find a country in the world outside of the U.S. that's trading north of 13 or 14 times, right? So, you know, I think, you know, for the long term, the easy story is to actually do the opposite of what's expensive as a result of having worked so well over the last, you know, decade plus. So what's been the best performing stuff? It's U.S., it's large cap, it's growth. It's the combination of those things, and it's those things individually as well. So as I look out over the next decade, you know, I would, I think it's actually a, you know, pretty high probability that you're probably going to see, you know, strong returns internationally, strong returns from small caps, and strong returns from, from value. Um, but in the near term, um, you know, let's just say the next year or two, I would say, you know, I would be more focused on the bar, the combination of, you know, inflationary growth beneficiaries um, barbelled with, uh, you know, spare tires, more defensive strategies, uh, defensive, you know, uh, you know, sectors and styles, higher quality, uh, less economically sensitive sectors as well. You know, the good thing is both those areas are actually still quite cheap and will probably put up some pretty reasonable growth numbers. Um, and, and what that does, does is, tell you, you know, by what that implies is that you should be underweight, um, you know, the area of the market that we still think is in a bubble, which is, you know, U.S. large cap growth or innovation, technology disruption. We think that area, which makes up about 50% of the, the S&P 500, you know, from a sector perspective, you know, is at the most risk. And so, you know, avoiding that and owning, you know, the other side of the market seesaw uh, is the way we're positioned today. Well, Dan and David, thank you very much for dropping by the podcast and for covering all of the ground that you did for our listeners, our clients, of course, much else we could have covered. So looking forward to perhaps following up later in the year to see how the landscape plays out. Though, Dan, David, thank you very much for your time, your insight, your guidance today. Always appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks a lot, Dan. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliates. The views and opinions expressed in this material by external guest speakers are those of the author, speaker, and are not those of UBS, its subsidiaries, or affiliates. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over the content of this material or any claims, losses, or damages arising from the use or reliance of all or any part thereof. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient, and is published for informational purposes only. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.